Welcome to a new year and another episode of Integrated Informatics with Paragon Consulting Partners. Um, in this session, we're going to be talking about migration. So those projects that many enterprise imaging organizations often dread, but that can make or break the success of an enterprise imaging project. And actually, they can present huge opportunities for organizations to optimize their data and workflows. So joining us today to explore um, this discussion and topic, of course, is um, Jeff Williams, managing partner of Paragon Consulting Partners, who himself has led many migration RFPs and projects, um, but also Hugh Lischkow, founder and CEO of DESAC, which is a leading provider of health data migration services. Welcome, Hugh. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I started out as a brain researcher about 30 years ago doing cosmic quantum emission tomography. And unfortunately, I had the, uh, the background of also being an electrical engineer. So I found I was having to write a lot of software around accessing various types of data. And we ended up deciding that we had to start a company around that. So we formed uh, DESAC, which stands for Designed Access. And we've been a data engineering company now for going on 27 years. So when we started doing uh, our data access, there are about 100 different file formats and media types available. You had tapes, optical disks, and you name it, we saw it. And our goal has always been around how do we access that data and make it better. Just out of curiosity, are you primarily focused on imaging migrations or, or do you go much broader than that? Well, we've been expanding out. We started out in the, the, the brain research, nuclear medicine side, actually expanded out into radiology. And recently we've been seeing digital pathology as being something quite interesting and coupled, especially in the last year and a half, with genomics. We are a, a company that understands file formats and how the data is stored. And the idea of data is something that really intrigues me. How do you use it better? Now, medical imaging is up there with the, the satellite imaging. And digital pathology is down there at the cellular level, giving you an idea of what's going on. And the genomics is really the, the, the building block. What is there to begin with? And I think the three together, uh, they're the future. And each of them has its different difficulties. You know, digital pathology going forward, it's massive amounts of data. And the experience that we've built out over these years of understanding how to access petabyte levels of data is exactly what's needed. And then when you get into genomics, you're talking even larger amounts than that. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about <laughs> genomics in, in particular and, you know, all of the data that goes into it, it's not a small undertaking. And, you know, for our listeners who weren't with us a few minutes ago, it was um, it was funny because there was a bit of banter going on before this conversation. And, and one of us commented, you know, what is it about migrations that bring out the worst in people? <laughs> and so if I was to rephrase that question. You know, I, I mentioned alluding into the introduction to this podcast, you know, a lot of organizations, they really dread the concept of a data migration. You know, in your opinion, what are some of those huge challenges or pitfalls that really lead to migration being perceived as, you know, this stressful and negative thing when really it, it, it sounds like there is a lot of opportunity that surrounds a, a properly crafted migration project? I think the, the real challenges in data migration uh, that we see is because each of these projects is unique, that there is no set course that you can tell people you must do this and it will work properly. Point is that uh, everybody doesn't plan ahead. So they don't understand the complexities here. And I think with some basic background information, 
we can make these things easier. Uh, whether it's understanding the, the backend hardware, how the data is actually stored, uh, ideas around network access. If that information is made available, then the migrations can go far more smoothly. But normally, the, the RFPs are designed without even understanding what data is in these various silos. So awards are given for the next generation uh, VNA or PACs. And at that time, they then say, okay, how do we get the data out of that? And by that point, it's way too late. You can do this beforehand, have a better idea of what's going on and make it a lot more smooth. So that's a great point. With these kinds of projects, because they're so unique, it would seem that there would be a, a value of emphasizing a well-crafted and executed design phase. And often that is kind of skipped over as, as you're kind of speaking to. Why do you think that we struggle so much with spending enough time getting through all of the discovery and all that's necessary to really put together a good migration or an ETL design? Well, I think people are not looking at why they're doing the migration. They're just saying we have to get it from the incumbent system onto new systems. They're not realizing that they can use that time for the migration for actually getting more value out of their data. You know, they're just seeing it as a, an add-on, a bolt-on to the, the VNA or the enterprise imaging solution that they're going to. But really, they have to understand uh, who's responsible for each portion of the getting the data from the old systems, cleaning it up, making it available, and ensuring that it's going to fit into the, the, the future workflow. So I think the, the preparation phase means you have to know what you have, first of all. That means also understanding where you're going with the data. Are you going to be changing things like uh, body parts or adding in atomic uh, region sequences in your enterprise imaging solutions so that you can actually start looking at things across silos of cardiology and radiology. If that's the case, you have some ideas of where the future data is going. The migration phase would give you the capacity for building out retrospectively all of the data that you've collected to that point. So I think you just need to know who's responsible for what's going on, and you have to really know what you want. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, given the complexities of moving all that data, it isn't just an activity of, you know, moving our house, we pack our boxes, we move our boxes to a new house, we, un we unpack our boxes, right? This is, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and that sort of makes me think about one of the big industry promises that came out um, probably more than five years ago or so, and that was the introduction of the vendor neutral archive uh, to the imaging ecosystem. And one of the big promises that uh, vendor neutral archives or at least marketing departments of vendor neutral archives um, put forward to the market was that the need for future migrations would be greatly simplified um, and complexity be, would be reduced because of the fact that they are vendor neutral and everything is standards-based and information is supposed to be organized in a much more predictable fashion. Have you found this in your experience to be the case? Because I, I know we certainly have, have seen different things than that um, in our experience. But I'm wondering, you know, with your broader perspective, uh, what's your what's your thoughts on that? I think you have to realize that the VNAs have been successful because they've decoupled the PACs from the total control of healthcare. That the health imaging side now is broadened out to that the storage and managing of this massive amounts of data is being handled by the VNA side. And the PACs is then left to do clinical imaging and patient workflow. Now the concept of being able to do simple migrations does not really take into account the back-end storage 
of the systems, these VNAs that they're working with, uh, terabytes are what we're seeing now, petabytes worth of data. And when you start to actually break down why the, the data was stored in systems as it were, you see that in many cases, it's just been dumped in there. So it's sitting on top of file systems that back end on other methods that unless you understand how to access each of the, the backend architectures like EMC Centera or uh, NetApp Storage Grid, that you can't access it at the speeds that are required for migration. So if the VNA vendors were gonna be sitting there trying to figure that side out, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing well. So I, I see it that the data migration specialists have to understand the APIs, have to understand the constraints of that storage side and do what they do well. I also say that the need for never needing a migration again, uh, I don't think anybody ever believed it. And maybe the same could be said about cloud-based implementations now. now I, I'd like to, to take an exercise that I, I tell people and probably shouldn't, but you take the, the following statement. The cloud will allow us to expand rapidly, use focused cloud resources, perform complex AI in the cloud, and provide cloud tools that will supplement enterprise imaging. Our data will always be available to us in the cloud and easily migrated when we change cloud vendors. So the next step is you take cloud and substitute corporate data center, which is what a cloud is. You realize it then goes to the corporate data center will allow us to expand rapidly, use focused corporate data center resources, perform complex AI in the corporate data center and provide corporate data center tools that will supplement enterprise imaging. Our data will always be available to us in the corporate data center and easily migrated when we change corporate data center vendors. Immediately, we start seeing it a bit differently. And I won't even go in if we then substituted Roach Motel for corporate <laughs> data center. So you start understanding this idea. You cannot promise everything. I really like that analogy, actually. It's, it's a great way to think about it because you're not wrong. You know, when people talk about different technologies like the cloud and, and at the time the vendor internal archive, um, those were very much the statements that are, are being made. And so when you reframe it that way, um, I think it's very eye-opening and certainly aligns with what we have seen in our experience with various uh, migration projects, whether or not you know, the cloud or, or a VNA was involved. So with all that in mind then, what would be sort of your top tips that you would give an organization that is looking to undertake a data migration project, or maybe even I should rephrase that a bit and say looking to undertake an enterprise imaging project, because to your point, um, we certainly see this as well. Migration is somewhat of an afterthought or a necessary add-on to an RFP rather than sort of the, the initial strategy. So what would you recommend that organizations do when they're looking to take on a large imaging project like this that is inevitably going to involve a data migration? Well, I think, uh, once again, they have to go back and understand what do they want. Uh, are they going to be end-of-lifing a specific tax vendor or the back-end storage? Uh, what does it mean when that contract ends? Uh, have this information available that you know what the contract means, how you can get the data, and who is responsible for which portions of these things like a migration. You know, we've, we've seen places that we've gone into where there are so many chefs and project managers that nobody quite knows what's going on and how to implement things, let alone the underlying infrastructure. So I think uh, one of the big tips would be that you sites have to reach out to incumbent providers and understand what their relationship will be going forward, uh, what access will be made available, uh, what information 
uh, is available, such as uh, markups, notes, and teaching files that they might not be able to get out of the systems unless the incumbent is brought in. Another big concern we see is the preparing for cleansing. Data cleansing is really the time where you can go in there and clean up a lot of things, renormalize, move in body parts, and do the things that are going to be needed for the next generation of imaging solution. But if you don't have the time spent and you realize that you're going to have to, to work with the Epic team who's busy on an update, it means that sometimes we've seen that the actual migration takes less time than the, the cleansing process. So it then compresses the amount of uh, data that has to be made available faster, where if it had been decided beforehand what was going to be cleansed and how, who was going to be responsible, that would have been ready before the migration process even started. Something like an enterprise imaging data audit really would help knowing what's in your data. Now, we sometimes kick off these uh, go-lives and we realize that the sites don't even know how many systems they have. You know, we've signed a SOW and contract that they're talking about uh, one PACS and one VNA. And then we find out on the first call that there's 20 different systems. And then they're going to bring some more in afterwards, which aren't even covered with the contract. So you really need to know what you have as well. And you would think that prior to an RFP that you would have that information. But uh, Jeff and Lurie, I think you, you understand that some of these uh, <laughs> sites don't even have any idea where their data is. Right. Yeah. And to that point, uh, you know, looking at sort of the heterogeneous uh, imaging ecosystem and certainly, you know, the, you've got the one physician who maybe has some images in their closet or there's point of care devices or there's, you know, multiple different tax systems. I mean, the, the list goes on about where you start to find images uh, within a healthcare organization. But that leads us to the topic then of some of these larger enterprise projects where we're not even necessarily focusing on, you know, radiology as a, sim as a single specialty, but often these enterprise imaging implementations are starting to incorporate cardiovascular. They're incorporating you know, other peripheral imaging um, that comes into the system. And there's an appetite to migrate that data over as well. My perspective, uh, and I've seen two different strat strategic approaches there, and that is, you know, let's migrate everything and get everything there all at once. And we'll go live with one big seamless platform. Um, and of course, the other one as well, let's do a phased approach and, and do it department by department. And wondering from a data migration perspective, what are your thoughts there? Uh, you know, tackling sort of exactly as you said, accountability, assignment, you know, data inventory, building out those cleansing and normalization tables and everything. Is it is it better to do that piecemeal or or have you seen successful projects that have taken on multiple specialties at once? We've actually seen when it's done as a whole that things work well. And that way you don't have these staggered go lives where cardiology is waiting a year past a radiology and, and the different clinicians are upset because they're reading off of different systems. So if things are planned properly, the enterprise can be moved over as a whole. And that way there aren't stakeholders who are upset because they're sitting on top of old systems or you have 20 different staggered go lives, which means that the data can be out of sync and potentially stale. And I think that is why it's so important that you examine the systems and your data before the RFP even starts, that you don't wait until after the contract has been awarded. You really do, when you're doing the enterprise as a whole, then let yourself coordinate that metadata, uh, the patient names, patient IDs, body parts, institution names, all of that 
can be handled across the enterprise then such that you don't end up with individual silos within your new system. We've seen cases where the people didn't think about that beforehand and we had to migrate into various dirty pools and clean pools for cardiology and radiology. And basically we then just recreated the uh, original silos again in the new system. And they're gonna have to wait another five years or so before they then try to go ahead and get around that the next time. It also gives you a chance because you're looking at how the enterprise imaging system is going to be handling things like reports that you can say, we're going to take all of the reports that were sitting in their TIFF or PDF within one silo in cardiology. We're going to move everything into, say, DICOM SRs, or we're going to have DICOM encapsulated PDFs, meaning that there'll be one source of truth in the new system as it handles the data. This really is a chance to clean out the silos and not just move the data over thinking that, well, afterwards, we'll, we'll go back and do something else with it. This really is the time to do that cleansing, do the enrichment of the metadata to make that enterprise imaging uh, solution work best. The important thing also is to understand the, the boundaries between these silos. You know, if you do this staggered approach, you might find that you're putting a system live where then you end up having to uh, migrate data into a, a production environment. You know, so if when it's done, as a holistic whole, you can ensure that you move data. We've, we've had some sites where we've been able to get 500,000 studies a day into a new system because it's clean, it's only there to receive data. And then others where we're trying to uh, shoehorn data in where the data is coming from a, a, a backend cloud and we're competing on a very narrow pipe for it, that we see that we're just never gonna meet the go live dates that have been uh, promised. This way, if you understand what the different networks and the, the different storage bandwidths are at each of the sites and look at it as a whole, you can even decide that there's no way that you're going to be able to move data into the, the new data center, which has a, a 10 gigabit pipe, for example, that you should design your migration such that the migration vendor supplies 500 terabytes of swing space storage that will then be pulled out and a lift and shift approach is taken where the data is migrated onto that system. It's relocated into the, the new data center and it's moved in from that. So I think the important bit here is if you plan beforehand, you can handle things as a whole. So I have a question that uh, you alluded to earlier, and this is a bit, I think this is a big part of this, um, this, this uh, discovery and design process that you're speaking to, which I, I think is so critical. And it's the elephant in the room uh, for, for, for most people. And that is um, engaging your legacy vendor in that process. You know, over the years, um, those conversations tend to be more emotional than logical because uh, vendors losing a customer, um, there haven't always been good rules around how to engage and support a customer that is leaving your platform. What have you seen? Uh, has that gotten better? Are, are vendors playing nicer, I guess, quote unquote, uh, in supporting uh, customers that are migrating away from their platforms? And do you have any thoughts or advice for clients that might be, you know, in that process of engaging a vendor and saying, hey, by the way, we're going with somebody else and we need you to support us getting all of our data out of your platform? 
I think the vendors have been getting better. Having been at this for so many years, we saw the the time when proprietary file formats were used and proprietary storage methods. That meant that it was very difficult to get out. And us trying to interact with incumbents where we were told that everything was proprietary. That's going away. The main driver is the large amount of data. Because when a contract says that the data can be made available to, via query retrieve, you realize you have a petabyte's worth of data. You start saying, you know, it's, it's going to take us five to 10 years right. to get the data off of that old system. And that's just not going to work. So in many cases, because these vendors will be potentially going in in the future back in, they have to play nicer in providing methods such that we aren't having to go through those bottlenecks of query retrieve. And especially when by going into that production environment, we can be impacting the actual flow of real data, real patient data. Especially if you're trying to migrate at say even 100,000 studies a day and prefetching is being done. If you start having to, to throttle at various points of the day, you really will end up with multi-year migrations. And that means that systems will fail and then things have to stay on the incumbent, in which case you have data centers that have these mixed environments where the old PACS is still in there years later. Now, it's just not going to work going forward. Things are, as we see, hospitals are looking at their resource allocation, especially in COVID and post-COVID days and realizing they don't have the money for those things. So people will have to play nice and we're hoping that the vendors that might not have done that in the past just realize there is no way uh, with enterprise imaging that they themselves will be able to handle these massive migrations. So we're optimistic for the future that we won't run into some of the roadblocks that we saw 5, 10, 15 years ago. You know, considering that and, and taking a look at, you know, the strategies that you're suggesting and bringing all of these, uh, you know, systems together, retiring the old systems, what parallel opportunities should organizations really be considering when they're undertaking a migration project? I mean, that sounds like a lot to undertake. And I know the resistance that we get from customers is, is, is often, well, that's a lot of work, you know, to think through all of those systems and to build out, you know, normalized crosswalks and to figure out you know, how my data should be structured um, in the new world. But, you know, the, the story that we always try to tell them is that there are a lot of opportunities. And so in your experience, you know, what types of data-related opportunities presented themselves when an organization did put forward the, um, the front-end effort to appropriately plan and structure the migration project, much as you've described? Well, I guess looking backwards, you can say that the best thing is to realize this is the point where you can clean things up, that you can actually go in there, apply data lifecycle rules. You can get rid of uh, data that is no longer uh, relevant because a hospital has been sold and deduplication of your various silos means that you, know, you can get rid of the, the systems that are stored across multiple different systems that then don't have to be brought forward. Uh, the idea would be hopefully that AI uh, utilization will be something that people will go to, in which case the migration period is a time that the identification can be done and you'll be able to really do that data discovery as to what's available. Now, I think you've seen some of the new companies coming out like uh, Truveta out of Seattle, which is a 
has a backing of about 14 or 15 hospital groups that are looking to see how do we actually drive uh, data-driven healthcare and the realization that data is as important as it is. And we, this is something that we're not a migration company. We are a data company. We really feel that the, the time that we have access to every bit of information of the petabytes, the billions of files that we're moving, is a time for analyzing what's been done right and what's been done wrong. You know, that period of saying, okay, in the future, we're gonna have our vendors give us anatomic sequences. Well, look to see what was done in the past. You know, Some sites that we've done, when we analyze how many different systems are actually generating data, we see 10,000 different scanners and handheld devices each with its own different variations and non-DICOM conformance. This is a, a data discovery time where you look to see, okay, these guys didn't have this configured properly. Going forward, let's go and clean that up. It allows you to really clean house and make sure that moving forward that you're efficient. It's once again, data driving it. Let alone if you decide that there's a method for de-identifying, commoditizing the data and using it for AI. That will be the future, but I like to say feeding the machines. We have all of the solutions to most diseases from the fact that when you have 10 million, 20, 30 million studies in an enterprise that you have enough overlap that that data is very important and should be understood. And the breaking down of the silos means that it really will be a new data-driven age. You mentioned something really interesting there that, that I want to sort of touch on, um, and that was the, the idea of data commoditization. Um, you know, and this is a big topic, right? Organizations, they, you know, those that are thinking through their data strategies, you know, much like you just described, and they realize the value and the richness of the data sets that they have. Um, the next logical step in their thinking is leveraging that data set um, from a commoditization perspective to, you know, put it out there um, for research purposes, for AI development purposes. And, and I'm just wondering, from your experience and what you've seen, is that something that, that organizations are becoming more successful in doing and putting some of those data sets out there and, and actually realizing the financial benefit of uh, what they have once they've gone through this activity? Is this actually a new a stream of revenue that is potentially available to organizations that really have a focused data strategy? It isn't there yet. You know, we come back from a time within, in the past, we were uh, working with the American College of Radiology with their accreditation services, the MR accreditation services, the CT. And we were working with American College of Radiology with MR accreditation services of making data available. And we received data on optical disks and DAT tapes and every which way to try to normalize the data. And we had to fight tooth and nail to access the data because of medical re legal reasons. The, each of the imaging centers did, really just didn't want to give that data out. They're very concerned. And we did our, our 7,000th conversion for the American College of Radiology. And by that point, everything was DICOM and things had started to loosen up. Now, the move towards AI led quite a few big companies, uh, such as IBM, and I guess you've, you've seen the news in the last couple of days that IBM uh, is looking to sell off the merge yes. uh, that they purchased for a billion dollars. 
with the idea that that data would be available for use in AI in Watson, when in fact, really because the ownership issues related to that data meant that they never were, were really able to use any of it. I think hospitals moving forward with things like Truvetta are realizing that uh, their, their customers, the patients, in many cases would be quite happy to have the data used if it's going to help in their own uh, health uh, care uh, setting. And some sites, like we've seen Indiana University, actually have a little tick off that you have to actually opt out of utilizing data for research. But I think now is the time that that medical legal reason has been put away to the point where we can start talking about the commoditization. So that will be the future of creating the data lakes and not just populating data swamps, which is what migration does give you the capacity of understanding what's there and what the value is. That's why we're quite excited. So on the topic of AI then, um, what requirements have you seen placed on data-focused projects as a result of organizations having the appetite to, you know, minimally leverage AI-based algorithms in their own organizations, but um, in many cases, I've actually seen them wanting to participate in the machine learning aspects of it. So sort of setting aside the topic of data commoditization and just thinking about even within an organization, um, how is AI shifting uh, requirements on, on data and data migration-focused projects? I hate to say it, but still the, the drive for migrations is around the, the clinical aspect in that we're being asked to move the data from system to system with the primary holder of the data being the, the, the corporation, meaning they have the obligation to move the clinical data. So things like annotations, which we consider quite important, the markups that are in many cases in proprietary file formats that don't move with the data and really are, uh, in my opinion, quite important for uh, potentially feeding to uh, machine learning algorithms because they pinpoint the sites that radiologists and oncologists thought were quite important for uh, their patients' care. They are being dragged along. We, we've gone into many different hospital systems where we've tried to get those annotations moved over to GSPS at the very least or DICOM SRs, which then could have some quantitative uh, utilization, but there still is even some pushback on that. So I think we are just at the very beginning of hospitals realizing that the data could be used for something more than just that specific primary care uh, utilization, you know, the idea of secondary usage. We really need to show these hospitals how they could de-identify provide methods for IRBs, the investigative review boards, to be able to specify that data can be used. And that'll come from the data cataloging that could be done during these migration processes, or even on its own, going and doing a uh, enterprise imaging or an AI readiness data discovery, where you deep dive into the data to see what's there, see which systems provide the, the body parts, see which have rich metadata that could be used for machine learning. And until they get to the point of wanting to discover the data, they really are going to be fighting 
uh, with that 85% of time is spent managing data uh, manipulation before they can even use it. Our strength is in data management, and we focus on making sure that we clean it up such that it could be used. And I think the future will mean that hospital systems do start to put AI first, and it's up to you guys and others to figure out how to uh, advertise that fact. So that leads me to a question around data labeling. You know, for, for years, when we get into these projects, one of the one of the early conversations is, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to standardize on our terminology, uh, you know, whether it's SNOMED or RADLEX, whatever, and, and it rarely ever uh, comes to fruition. Looking in the crystal ball, do you think at some point that we're going to settle on a standard for terminology, or do you think that ultimately we're going to have to rely on AI to parse the, you know, multiple different procedure codes and the descriptions that we use as a way to, to label some of this data? Well, I think that's uh, interesting. I don't know if you've seen the latest Journal of Digital Imaging and the paper there about the importance of body part labeling to enable enterprise imaging. And it's a HIMSIM uh, Imaging Community Collaborative White Paper. And it goes through a, a framing uh, situation to understand how a patient uh, being seen over 23 different imaging studies spanning uh, gross pathology to PET-CT, how it would tie together by having the proper anatomic regions throughout all of these different systems. And I think that shows that there is an understanding here that there is the need for at least the DICOM sequence elements, if they're there, if they have been harmonized across these different systems, to lead to proper sorting, whether it's for uh, hanging protocols or whether it's for AI. You know, that workflow step does require understanding of the, uh, the catalog, say an ontology of every single element. And what we've been looking at during the migration process is to build out those data catalogs because you have a closed set of data. Say you have 2 billion images that correspond to a healthcare system. Within body part examined, you have a closed ontology of how many body parts have been used and you can build out a histogram of what was a mistake and what is uh, somebody putting in something, uh, just a pretext, and pretty much then break that down into what should be put in. So the migration period, as I said, does allow you to build out the, the proper way of labeling, the proper way of putting institution names in there, because you do have the data. It's not a black box. You can access all of it. We hear a lot about the struggles that go along with migrations, but do you have a success story that you can share with us where you know migration was, or, or data strategy, I should say, was top of mind at the beginning of the project from the onset. And you know, there was a smooth and successful you know, project that led to a successful um, outcome. Do you have anything like that that might inspire our listeners to think about mm -hmm. data strategy and migrations a little bit differently? I think in, instead, I'd rather talk a little bit about more uh, how data has become the success story, that it is driving healthcare now. And just going back, when I was a, a brain researcher at the Kyoto University School of Medicine, we were in the back in the 90s, we were doing positron emission tomography uh, imaging, and we had this $2 million PET scanner, 
And at that time, we were all sitting around a table looking at Polaroid images, trying to do research. Now we've got sites that are generating billions of instances worth of data, all of which have clinical importance. Now the, the idea here is the data will be the success story, that as we bring in digital pathology and genomics, that we're going to finally be able to move forward towards precision medicine and what it means, being able to treat the data with the patient so that each patient then becomes a success story. The reason I don't talk about specific projects is because, once again, every single migration that we've done has been a single migration. Each of the different sites that we've gone into, where we start with one hospital and then move into some of our projects were now onto the 15th hospital within a hospital system that we've migrated, has its own ups and downs, you know, that we, we find that uh, data back-ended on a cloud infrastructure that nobody knew about, and there had to be new negotiations with that cloud vendor to provide bigger uh, pipes for accessing the data. So each different project has its things that you could say success, such as 500,000 studies per day with one project, or being able to uh, unthaw a migration project that had been sitting for a year with another vendor that didn't understand that the incumbent's data had a specific, uh, how do we say it, bug within the image encoding that meant that you couldn't do a straight media migration, that you had to understand how to read, decode, and transform each image and be able to make it available in standard ICOM. Each migration is a, an adventure in itself, but we look more towards the, the, the future. You know, our, our, our goal has been that uh, DESEC is there to unlock data and inspire cures. Just because of the fact that there's so much more in this data, we feel that getting it out of the silos is a success. You talk about data is the success. And I think that's a, that's a great line. As we get into this, um, you know, we're talking about a lot of image migration, but you've touched on pathology and genomics. The historical model has been, you know, obviously we're still in the early years of, of this adoption, but it's been moving the data to compute and moving the data to these uh, algorithms and, and different models. I have a friend in the industry who's, who's got all kinds of great ideas. And one of the things he talks about, and I agree with is, you know, if we're going to be successful, we've got to figure out a way to move the compute and the AI to the data. Have you seen any success stories in that and how that's being architected or how that's being deployed? Well, that's actually something that we're working on very you know, closely here. You know, we, we realize that knowledge that we have of how the data is stored, that data is sitting on top of systems that were not designed for health data. They were designed for generic data. We understand how best to store the data so as to access it so it can be utilized for health concerns. The, the capacity with the file formats of understanding how data is actually stored, even within genomics, there's various formats where you're not actually storing the, the genome itself. You're, you're uh, storing references to a, a standard. You don't know that until you actually drill down into these file formats, which is something I think uh, back 20 something years ago, David Clooney and I started vying for who could understand how to access these various file formats and uh, media formats 
and unlock the data. So nowadays, the idea of applying the knowledge to the data directly is, you know, it will open things up. And if we don't do that, the, the fact that we're generating petabytes now, some, some sites we're looking at, we're pointing out and they've got two petabytes worth of data. That's such a deluge that if you don't have a real understanding of how to, to place the, the compute with the data, it's just going to become a swamp. And that is one of the, the reasons that uh, IBM is getting out of the industry. They just couldn't understand what to do with the data. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insights. I mean, certainly I found this to be very educational and insightful um, in terms of thinking differently uh, about data migration and, and what it really means for an enterprise project and, and what it could mean for the future roadmap of the healthcare organization. So really appreciate um, your time and your insight. Yeah, it's been fantastic, Hugh. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you. Well, you too, Hugh. And, and for our listeners, um, join us again for our, our next installment of Integrated Informatics with Paragon Consulting Partners. Welcome to a new year and another episode of Integrated Informatics with Paragon Consulting Partners. Um, in this session, we're going to be talking about migration. So those projects that many enterprise imaging organizations often dread, but that can make or break the success of an enterprise imaging project. And actually, they can present huge opportunities for organizations to optimize their data and, and workflows. So joining us today to explore um, this discussion and topic, of course, is um, Jeff Williams, managing partner of Paragon Consulting Partners, who himself has led many migration RFPs and projects, um, but also Hugh Lischkow, founder and CEO of DESAC, which is a leading provider of health data migration services. Welcome, Hugh. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I started out as a brain researcher about 30 years ago doing cosmic emission tomography. And unfortunately, I had the, uh, the background of also being an electrical engineer. So I found I was having to write a lot of software around accessing various types of data. And we ended up deciding that we had to start a company around that. So we formed uh, DESAC, which stands for Designed Access. And we've been a data engineering company now for going on 27 years. So when we started doing uh, our data access, there are about 100 different file formats and media types available. You had tapes, optical disks, and you name it, we saw it. And our goal has always been around how do we access that data and make it better. Just out of curiosity, are you primarily focused on imaging migrations or, or do you go much broader than that? Well, we've been expanding out. We started out in the, the, the brain research, nuclear medicine side, actually, expanded out into radiology. And recently, we've been seeing digital pathology as being something quite interesting and coupled, especially in the last year and a half, with genomics. We are a, a company that understands file formats and how the data is stored. And the idea of data is something that really intrigues me. How do you use it better? You know, medical imaging is up there with the, the satellite imaging. And digital pathology is down there at the cellular level, giving you an idea of what's going on. And the genomics is really the, the, the building block. What is there to begin with? And I think the three together, uh, they're the future. And 
each of them has its different difficulties. You know, digital pathology going forward, it's massive amounts of data. And the experience that we've built out over these years of understanding how to access petabyte levels of data is exactly what's needed. And then when you get into genomics, you're talking even larger amounts than that. Yeah, and you know, I mean, when you think about <laughs> genomics in, in particular and, you know, all of the data that goes into it, it's not a small undertaking. And, you know, for our listeners who weren't with us a few minutes ago, it was um, it was funny because there was a bit of banter going on before this conversation. And, and one of us commented, you know, what is it about migrations that bring out the worst in people? <laughs> and so if I was to rephrase that question, uh, you know, I, I mentioned alluding into the introduction to this podcast, you know, a lot of organizations, they really dread the concept of a data migration. You know, in your opinion, what are some of those huge challenges or pitfalls that really lead to migration being perceived as, you know, this stressful and negative thing when really it, it, it sounds like there is a lot of opportunity that surrounds a, a properly crafted migration project? I think the, the real challenges in data migration uh, that we see is because each of these projects is unique that there is no set course that you can tell people you must do this and it will work properly. The point is that uh, everybody doesn't plan ahead. So they don't understand the complexities here. And I think with some basic background information, we can make these things easier, uh, whether it's understanding the, the backend hardware, how the data is actually stored, uh, ideas around network access. If that information is made available, then the migrations can go far more smoothly. But normally, the, the RFPs are designed without even understanding what data is in these various silos. So awards are given for the next generation uh, VNA or PACs. And at that time, they then say, okay, how do we get the data out of there? And by that point, it's way too late. You can do this beforehand, have a better idea of what's going on and make it a lot more smooth. So that's a great point. With these kinds of projects, because they're so unique, it would seem that there would be a, a value of emphasizing a well-crafted and executed design phase. And often that is kind of skipped over as, as you're kind of speaking to. Why do you think that we struggle so much with spending enough time getting through all of the discovery and all that's necessary to really put together a good migration or an ETL design? Well, I think people are not looking at why they're doing the migration. They're just saying we have to get it from the incumbent system onto new systems. They're not realizing that they can use that time for the migration for actually getting more value out of their data. You know, they're just seeing it as a, an add-on, a bolt-on to the, the VNA or the enterprise imaging solution that they're going to. But really, they have to understand uh, who's responsible for each portion of the getting the data from the old systems, cleaning it up, making it available, and ensuring that it's going to fit into the, the, the future workflow. So I think the, the preparation phase means you have to know what you have, first of all. That means also understanding where you're going with the data. Are you going to be changing things like uh, body parts or adding in atomic uh, region sequences in your enterprise imaging solutions so that you can actually start looking at things across silos of cardiology and radiology. If that's the case, you have some ideas of where the future data is going. The migration phase would give you the capacity for building out retrospectively all of the data that you collected to that point. So I think you just need to know who's responsible for what's going on, and you have to really know what you want. 
That makes a lot of sense. I mean, given the complexities of moving all that data, it isn't just an activity of, you know, moving our house, we pack our boxes, we move our boxes to a new house, we, un we unpack our boxes, right? This is, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and that sort of makes me think about one of the big industry promises that came out um, probably more than five years ago or so, and that was the introduction of the vendor neutral archive uh, to the imaging ecosystem. And one of the big promises that uh, vendor neutral archives or at least marketing departments of vendor neutral archives uh, put forward to the market was that the need for future migrations would be greatly simplified um, and complexity be, would be reduced because of the fact that they are vendor neutral and everything is standards based and information is supposed to be organized in a much more predictable fashion. Have you found this in your experience to be the case? Because I, I know we certainly have have seen different things than that um, in our experience. But I'm wondering, you know, with your broader perspective, uh, what's your what's your thoughts on that? I think you have to realize that the VNAs have been successful because they've decoupled the PACs from the total control of healthcare. That the health imaging side now is broadened out to that the storage and managing of this massive amounts of data is being handled by the VNA side. And the PACs is then left to do clinical imaging and patient workflow. Now, the concept of being able to do simple migrations does not really take into account the back-end storage of the systems, the VNAs that they're working with, uh, terabytes or what we're seeing now, petabytes worth of data. And when you start to actually break down why uh, the data was stored in systems as it were, you see that in many cases, it's just been dumped in there. So it's sitting on top of file systems that back end on other methods that unless you understand how to access each of the, the backend architectures like EMC Centera or uh, NetApp Storage Grid, that you can't access it at the speeds that are required for migration. So if the VNA vendors were gonna be sitting there trying to figure that side out, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing well. So I, I see it that the data migration specialists have to understand the APIs, have to understand the constraints of that storage side and do what they do well. I also say that the need for never needing a migration again, uh, I don't think anybody ever believed it. And maybe the same could be said about cloud-based implementations now. now I, I'd like to, to take an exercise that I, I tell people and probably shouldn't, but you take the, the following statement. The cloud will allow us to expand rapidly, use focused cloud resources, perform complex AI in the cloud, and provide cloud tools that will supplement enterprise imaging. Our data will always be available to us in the cloud and easily migrated when we change cloud vendors. So the next step is you take cloud and substitute corporate data center, which is what a cloud is. You realize it then goes to the corporate data center will allow us to expand rapidly, use focused corporate data center resources, perform complex AI in the corporate data center and provide corporate data center tools that will supplement enterprise imaging. Our data will always be available to us in the corporate data center and easily migrated when we change corporate data center vendors. Immediately, we start seeing it a bit differently. And I won't even go in if we then substituted Roach Motel for corporate data center. <laughs> so you start understanding this idea. You cannot promise everything. Uh, I really like that analogy, actually. It's, it's a great way to think about it because you're not wrong. You know, when people talk about different technologies like the cloud and and at the time the vendor neutral archive um, those were very much the statements that are are being made and so when you reframe it that way um, I think it's very eye-opening and 
certainly aligns with what we have seen in our experience with various uh, migration projects, whether or not, you know, the cloud or, or a VNA was involved. So with all that in mind, then, what would be sort of your top tips that you would give an organization that is looking to undertake uh, a data migration project, or I, maybe even I should rephrase that a bit and say looking to undertake an enterprise imaging project, because to your point, um, we certainly see this as well. Migration is somewhat of an afterthought or a necessary add-on to an RFP rather than sort of the the initial strategy. So what would you recommend that organizations do when they're looking to take on a large imaging project like this that is inevitably going to involve a data migration? Well, I think, uh, once again, they have to go back and understand what do they want. Uh, are they going to be end-of-lifing a specific tax vendor or the back-end storage? Uh, what does it mean when that contract ends? Uh, have this information available that you know what the contract means, how you can get the data, and who is responsible for which portions of these things like a migration. You know, we've, we've seen places that we've gone into where there are so many chefs and project managers that nobody quite knows what's going on and how to implement things, let alone the underlying infrastructure. So I think uh, one of the big tips would be that you sites have to reach out to incumbent providers and understand what their relationship will be going forward, uh, what access will be made available, uh, what information uh, is available, such as uh, markups, notes, and teaching files that they might not be able to get out of the systems unless the incumbent is brought in. Another big concern we see is the preparing for cleansing. Data cleansing is really the time where you can go in there and clean up a lot of things, renormalize, move in body parts, and do the things that are going to be needed for the next generation of imaging solution. But if you don't have the time spent and you realize that you're going to have to, to work with the Epic team who's busy on an update, it means that sometimes we've seen that the actual migration takes less time than the, the cleansing process. So it then compresses the amount of uh, data that has to be made available faster, where if it had been decided beforehand what was going to be cleansed and how, who was going to be responsible, that would have been ready before the migration process even started. Something like an enterprise imaging data audit really would help knowing what's in your data. You know, we sometimes kick off these uh, go-lives and we realize that the sites don't even know how many systems they have. You know, we've signed a SOW and contract that they're talking about uh, one PACS and one VNA. And then we find out on the first call that there's 20 different systems. And then they're going to bring some more in afterwards, which aren't even covered with the contract. So you really need to know what you have as well. And you would think that prior to an RFP that you would have that information. But uh, Jeff and Lurie, I think you you understand that some of these uh, <laughs> sites don't even have any idea where their data is. Right. Yeah. And to that point, uh, you know, looking at sort of the heterogeneous uh, imaging ecosystem and certainly, you know, the, you've got the one physician who maybe has some images in their closet or there's point of care devices or there's, you know, multiple different tax systems. I mean, the list goes on about where you start to find images uh, within a healthcare organization. But that leads us to the topic then of some of these larger enterprise projects where we're not even necessarily focusing on, you know, radiology as a, sim as a single specialty, but often these enterprise imaging implementations are starting to incorporate cardiovascular. They're incorporating you know, other peripheral imaging um, that comes into the system. And there's an appetite to migrate that data over as well. 
my perspective, uh, and I've seen two different strat- strategic approaches there, and that is, you know, let's migrate everything and get everything there all at once, and we'll go live with one big seamless platform. Um, and of course, the other one is, well, let's do a phased approach and, and do it department by department. And wondering from a data migration perspective, what are your thoughts there, uh, you know, tackling sort of exactly as you said, accountability, assignment, you know, data inventory, building out those cleansing and normalization tables and everything. Is it, is it better to do that piecemeal or, or have you seen successful projects that have taken on multiple specialties at once? We've actually seen when it's done as a whole that things work well. And that way you don't have these staggered go lives where cardiology is waiting a year past uh, radiology and, and the different clinicians are upset because they're reading off of different systems. So if things are planned properly, the enterprise can be moved over as a whole. And that way there aren't stakeholders who are upset because they're sitting on top of old systems or you have 20 different staggered go lives, which means that the data can be out of sync and potentially stale. And I think that is why it's so important that you examine the systems in your data before the RFP even starts, that you don't wait until after the contract has been awarded. You really do, when you're doing the enterprise as a whole, then let yourself coordinate that metadata, uh, the patient names, patient IDs, body parts, institution names, all of that can be handled across the enterprise then such that you don't end up with individual silos within your new system. We've seen cases where the people didn't think about that beforehand and we had to migrate into various dirty pools and clean pools for cardiology and radiology. And basically we then just recreated the uh, original silos again in the new system. And they're gonna have to wait another five years or so before they then try to go ahead and get around that the next time. It also gives you a chance because you're looking at how the enterprise imaging system is going to be handling things like reports that you can say, we're going to take all of the reports that were sitting in their TIFF or PDF within one silo in cardiology. We're going to move everything into, say, DICOM SRs, or we're going to have DICOM encapsulated PDFs, meaning that there'll be one source of truth in the new system as it handles the data. This really is a chance to clean out the silos and not just move the data over thinking that, well, afterwards we'll, we'll go back and do something else with it. This really is the time to do that cleansing, do the enrichment of the metadata to make that enterprise imaging uh, solution work best. The important thing also is to understand the, the boundaries between these silos. You know, if you do this staggered approach, you might find that you're putting a system live where then you end up having to uh, migrate data into a, a production environment. You know, so if when it's done as a holistic whole, you can ensure that you move data. We've, we've had some sites where we've been able to get 500,000 studies a day into a new system because it's clean, it's only there to receive data. And then others where we're trying to uh, shoehorn data in where the data is coming from a, a a backend cloud and we're competing on a very narrow pipe for it, that we see that we're just never gonna meet the go live dates that have been uh, promised. This way, if you understand what the different networks and the, the different storage bandwidths are at each of the sites and look at it as a whole, you can even decide that there's no way that you're going to be able to move data into the, the new data center, which has a, a 10 gigabit pipe, for example, that 
you should design your migration such that the migration vendor supplies 500 terabytes of swing space storage that will then be pulled out and a lift and shift approach is taken where the data is migrated onto that system. It's relocated into the, the new data center and it's moved in from that. So I think the important bit here is if you plan beforehand, you can handle things as a whole. So I have a question that uh, you alluded to earlier, and this is a bit, I think this is a big part of this, um, this, this uh, discovery and design process that you're speaking to, which I, I think is so critical. And it's the elephant in the room uh, for, for, for most people. And that is um, engaging your legacy vendor in that process. You know, over the years, um, those conversations tend to be more emotional than logical because uh, vendors losing a customer, um, there haven't always been good rules around how to engage and support a customer that is leaving your platform. What have you seen? Uh, has that gotten better? Are, are vendors playing nicer, I guess, quote unquote, uh, in supporting uh, customers that are migrating away from their platforms? And do you have any thoughts or advice for clients that might be, you know, in that process of engaging a vendor and saying, hey, by the way, we're going with somebody else and we need you to support us getting all of our data out of your platform. I think the vendors have been getting better. Having been at this for so many years, we saw the, the time when proprietary file formats were used and proprietary storage methods that meant that it was very difficult to get out and us trying to interact with incumbents where we were told that everything was proprietary. That's going away. The main driver is the large amount of data, because when a contract says that the data can be made available via query retrieve, you realize you have a petabyte's worth of data. You start saying, you know what, it's going to take us five to 10 years right. to get the data off of that old system, and that's just not going to work. So in many cases, because these vendors will be potentially going in in the future back in, they have to play nicer in providing methods such that we aren't having to go through those bottlenecks of query retrieve. And especially when by going into that production environment, we can be impacting the actual flow of real data, real patient data, especially if you're trying to migrate at say even 100,000 studies a day and prefetching is being done. If you start having to, to throttle at various points of the day, you really will end up with multi-year migrations. And that means that systems will fail and then things have to stay on the incumbent, in which case you have data centers that have these mixed environments where the old packs is still in there years later. Now, it's just not going to work going forward. Things are, as we see, hospitals are looking at their resource allocation, especially in COVID and post-COVID days and realizing they don't have the money for those things. So people will have to play nice. And we're hoping that the vendors that might not have done that in the past just realize there is no way uh, with enterprise imaging that they themselves will be able to handle these massive migrations. So we're optimistic for the future that we won't run into some of the roadblocks that we saw 5, 10, 15 years ago. You know, considering that and, and taking a look at, you know, the strategies that you're suggesting and bringing all of these, uh, you know, systems together, retiring the old systems, what parallel opportunities should organizations really be considering when they're undertaking a migration project? I mean, that sounds like a lot to undertake. And I know the 
resistance that we get from customers is 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 often well that's a lot of work you know to think through all of those systems and to build out you know normalized crosswalks and to figure out you know how my data should be structured um, in the new world but you know the the story that we always try to tell them is that there are a lot of opportunities and so in your experience you know what types of data-related opportunities presented themselves when an organization did put forward the um, the front-end effort to appropriately plan and structure the migration project, much as you've described? Well, I guess looking backwards, you can say that the best thing is to realize this is the point where you can clean things up, that you can actually go in there, apply data lifecycle rules. You can get rid of uh, data that is no longer uh, relevant because a hospital has been sold and deduplication of your various silos means that you, know, you can get rid of the, the systems that are stored across multiple different systems that then don't have to be brought forward. Uh, the idea would be hopefully that AI uh, utilization will be something that people will go to, in which case the migration period is a time that the identification can be done and you'll be able to really do that data discovery as to what's available. Now, I think you've seen some of the new companies coming out like uh, Truveta out of Seattle, which is a uh, has a backing of about 14 or 15 hospital groups that are looking to see how do we actually drive uh, data-driven healthcare. And the realization that data is as important as it is. And we, this is something that we're not a migration company. We are a data company. We really feel that the, the time that we have access to every bit of information of the petabytes, the billions of files that we're moving, is a time for analyzing what's been done right and what's been done wrong. Now, that period of saying, okay, in the future, we're going to have our vendors give us anatomic sequences. Well, look to see what was done in the past. You know, some sites that we've done, when we analyze how many different systems are actually generating data, we see 10,000 different scanners and handheld devices, each with its own different variations and non-DICOM conformance. This is a, a data discovery time where you look to see, okay, these guys didn't have this configured properly. Going forward, let's go and clean that up. It allows you to really clean the house and make sure that moving forward that you're efficient. It's once again, data driving it. Let alone if you decide that there's a method for uh, de-identifying, commoditizing the data and using it for AI. That will be the future. The, but I like to say feeding the machines. We, we have all of the solutions to most diseases from the fact that when you have 10 million, 20, 30 million studies in an enterprise, that you have enough overlap that that data is very important and should be understood. And the breaking down of the silos means that it really will be a new data-driven age. You mentioned something really interesting there that that I want to sort of touch on, um, and that was the, the idea of data commoditization. Um, you know, and this is a big topic, right? Organizations, they, you know, those that are thinking through their data strategies, much like you just described, and they realize the value and the richness of the data sets that they have. Um, the next logical step in their thinking is leveraging that data set um, from a commoditization perspective to, you know, put it out there um, for research purposes, for AI development purposes. And, and I'm just wondering, from your experience and what you've seen, 
is that something that that organizations are becoming more successful in doing and putting some of those data sets out there and, and actually realizing the financial benefit of uh, what they have once they've gone through this activity? Is this actually a new uh, stream of revenue that is potentially available to organizations that really have a focused data strategy? It isn't there yet. You know, we come back from a time within, in the past, we were uh, working with the American College of Radiology with their accreditation services, the MR accreditation services, the CT. And we were working with American College of Radiology with MR accreditation services of making data available. And we received data on optical discs and dat tapes and every which way to try to normalize the data. And we had to fight tooth and nail to access the data because of medical re legal reasons. The, each of the imaging centers did, really just didn't want to give that data out. They're very concerned. And we did our, our 7,000th conversion for the American College of Radiology. And by that point, everything was DICOM and things had started to loosen up. Now, the move towards AI led quite a few big companies, uh, such as IBM, and I guess you've, you've seen the news in the last couple of days that IBM uh, is looking to sell off the merge yes. uh, that they purchased for a billion dollars with the idea that that data would be available for use in AI in Watson, when in fact, really because the ownership issues related to that data meant that they never were, were really able to use any of it. I think hospitals moving forward with things like Trubetta are realizing that uh, their, their customers, the patients, in many cases would be quite happy to have the data used if it's going to help in their own uh, health uh, care uh, setting. And some sites, like we've seen Indiana University, actually have a little tick off that you have to actually opt out of utilizing data for research. I think now is the time that that medical legal reason has been put away to the point where we can start talking about the commoditization. So that will be the future of creating the data lakes and not just populating data swamps, which is what migration does give you the capacity of understanding what's there and what the value is. That's why we're quite excited. And so on the topic of AI then, um, what requirements have you seen placed on data focused projects as a result of organizations having the appetite to, you know, minimally leverage AI based algorithms in their own organizations, but um, in many cases I've actually seen them wanting to participate in the machine learning aspects of it. So sort of setting aside the topic of data commoditization and just thinking about even within an organization, um, how is AI shifting uh, requirements on, on data and data migration focused projects? I hate to say it, but still the, the drive for migrations is around the, the clinical aspect in that we're being asked to move the data from system to system with the primary holder of the data being the, the, the corporation, meaning they have the obligation to move the clinical data. So things like annotations, which we consider quite important, the markups that are in many cases in proprietary file formats that don't move with the data and really are, uh, in my opinion, quite important for uh, potentially feeding to uh, machine learning algorithms because they pinpoint the 
sites that radiologists and oncologists thought were quite important for uh, their patients' care, they are being dragged along. We, we've gone into many different hospital systems where we've tried to get those annotations moved over to GSPS at the very least, or DICOM SRs, which then could have some quantitative uh, utilization. But there still is even some pushback on that. So I think we are just at the very beginning of hospitals realizing that the data could be used for something more than just that specific primary care uh, utilization, you know, the idea of secondary usage. We really need to show these hospitals how they could de-identify, provide methods for IRBs, the investigative review boards, to be able to specify that data can be used. And that'll come from the data cataloging that could be done during these migration processes, or even on its own, going and doing a uh, enterprise imaging or an AI readiness data discovery where you deep dive into the data to see what's there, see which systems provide the, the body parts, see which have rich metadata that could be used for machine learning. And until they get to the point of wanting to discover the data, they really are going to be fighting uh, with that 85% of time is spent managing data uh, manipulation before they can even use it. Our strength is in data management, and we focus on making sure that we clean it up such that it could be used. And I think the future will mean that hospital systems do start to put AI first, and it's up to you guys and others to figure out how to uh, advertise that fact. So that leads me to a question around data labeling. You know, for, for years, when we get into these projects, one of the one of the early conversations is, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to standardize on our terminology, uh, you know, whether it's SNOMED or RADLEX, whatever, and, and it rarely ever uh, comes to fruition. Looking in the crystal ball, do you think at some point that we're going to settle on a standard for terminology, or do you think that ultimately we're going to have to rely on AI to parse the you know, multiple different procedure codes and the descriptions that we use as a way to, to label some of this data? Well, I think that's uh, interesting. I don't know if you've seen the latest Journal of Digital Imaging and the paper there uh, about the importance of body part labeling to enable enterprise imaging. And it's a HIMSIM uh, Imaging Community Collaborative White Paper. And it goes through a, a framing situation to understand how a patient uh, being seen over 23 different imaging studies spanning uh, gross pathology to PET-CT, how it would tie together by having the proper anatomic regions throughout all of these different systems. And I think that shows that there is an understanding here that there is the need for at least the DICOM sequence elements, if they're there, if they have been harmonized across these different systems, to lead to proper sorting, whether it's for uh, hanging protocols or whether it's for AI. You know, that workflow step does require understanding of the, uh, the catalog, say an ontology of every single element. And what we've been looking at during the migration process is to build out those data catalogs because you have a closed set of data. 
say you have 2 billion images that correspond to a healthcare system, uh, within body part examine, you have a closed ontology of how many body parts have been used and you can build out a histogram of what was a mistake and what is uh, somebody putting in something, uh, just a pretext, and pretty much then break that down into what should be put in. So the migration period, as I said, does allow you to build out the, the proper way of labeling, the proper way of putting institution names in there because you do have the data. It's not a black box. You can access all of it. We hear a lot about the struggles that go along with migrations, but do you have a success story that you can share with us where you know migration was, or, or data strategy, I should say, was top of mind at the beginning of the project from the onset? And you know there was a smooth and successful you know, project that led to a successful um, outcome. Do you have anything like that that might inspire our listeners to think about mm -hmm. data strategy and migrations a little bit differently? I think in, instead, I'd rather talk a little bit about more uh, how data has become the success story, that it is driving healthcare now. And just going back, when I was a, a brain researcher at uh, Kyoto University School of Medicine, we were in the, back in the 90s, we were doing positron emission tomography uh, imaging, and we had this $2 million PET scanner and at that time, we were all sitting around a table looking at Polaroid images, trying to do research. Now, we've got sites that are generating billions of instances worth of data, all of which have clinical importance. You know, the, the idea here is the data will be the success story, that as we bring in digital pathology and genomics, that we're going to have finally be able to move forward towards precision medicine and what it means, being able to treat the data with the patient so that each patient then becomes a success story. The reason I don't talk about specific projects is because, once again, every single migration that we've done has been a single migration. Each of the different sites that we've gone into, where we start with one hospital and then move into some of our projects were now onto the 15th hospital within a hospital system that we've migrated has its own ups and downs you know that we we find that uh, data back-ended on a cloud infrastructure that nobody knew about and there had to be new negotiations with that cloud vendor to provide bigger uh, pipes for accessing the data so each different project has its things that you could say success such as 500,000 studies per day with one project, or being able to uh, unthaw a migration project that had been sitting for a year with another vendor that didn't understand that the incumbent's data had a specific, uh, how do we say it, bug within the image encoding that meant that you couldn't do a straight media migration, that you had to understand how to read, decode, and transform each image. and be able to make it available in standard ICOM. Each migration is a, an adventure in itself, but we look more towards the, the, the future. You know, our, our, our goal has been that uh, DESEC is there to unlock data and inspire cures. Just because of the fact that there's so much more in this data, we feel that getting it out of the silos is a success. You talk about data is the success. And I think that's a, that's a great line. 
as we get into this, um, you know, we're talking about a lot of image migration, but you've touched on pathology and genomics. The historical model has been, you know, obviously we're still in the early years of, of this adoption, but it's been moving the data to compute and moving the data to these uh, algorithms and, and different models. I have a friend in the industry who's who's got all kinds of great ideas. And one of the things he talks about, and I agree with is, you know, if we're going to be successful, we've got to figure out a way to move the compute and the AI to the data. Have you seen any success stories in that and how that's being architected or how that's being deployed? Well, that's actually something that we're working on very you know, closely here. You know, we, we realize that knowledge that we have of how the data is stored, that data is sitting on top of systems that were not designed for health data. They were designed for generic data. We understand how best to store the data so as to access it so it can be utilized for health concerns. The, the capacity with the file formats of understanding how data is actually stored, even within genomics, there's various formats where you're not actually storing the, the genome itself. You're you're uh, storing references to a, a standard. You don't know that until you actually drill down into these file formats, which is something I think uh, back 20 something years ago, David Clooney and I started vying for who could understand how to access these various file formats and uh, media formats and unlock the data. So nowadays the idea of applying the knowledge to the data directly is, you know, it will open things up. And if we don't do that, uh, the fact that we're generating petabytes now, some, some sites we're looking at, we're pointing out and they've got two petabytes worth of data. That's such a deluge that if you don't have a real understanding of how to, to place the, the compute with the data, it's just going to become a swamp. And that is one of the, the reasons that uh, IBM is getting out of the industry. They just couldn't understand what to do with the data. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insights. I mean, certainly I found this to be very educational and insightful um, in terms of thinking differently uh, about data migration and, and what it really means for an enterprise project and, and what it could mean for the future roadmap of the healthcare organization. So really appreciate um, your time and your insights. Yeah, it's been fantastic, Hugh. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you. No, you too, Hugh. And, and for our listeners, um, join us again for our, our next installment of Integrated Informatics with Paragon Consulting Partners.